following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, grab your Bible or an electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, We are in the book of Titus. And the book of Titus is in the New Testament. It's packed away uh, past the letters. So you're going to have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are going to be the four Gospels. And then you're going to have Acts, which is the work of the Spirit. And then you're going to have these letters uh, to um, the church. And in the letters to the church, uh, you're going to see Titus is right after First and Second Timothy. So if you would uh, open uh, up there. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you. You can go ahead and grab that and pick that up. Titus chapter 1 is where we're going to be at, uh, verse 5. An old story is told as you're finding Titus chapter 1 of uh, a war vet's funeral. And uh, the deceased friends gathered around the pastor before the funeral started. And essentially they had a plan. They told the pastor what they were going to do. They said, after the funeral is over and the service has concluded, we would like you as the pastor to walk out uh, in front of the casket, and we're going to do the military honors. And you'll go through the door, and then there'll be a moment of silence for our friend. And the pastor obliged. He didn't even think anything about it. He was just like, yeah, that's fine. We can do that. You know, not a big deal. And he didn't really ask any questions. And so as um, the funeral kind of came to a close, uh, what they did was um, they got up and they got around the casket and the pastor was in the front and they looked at the pastor and the pastor looked at them and they nodded to him. And so he started walking out of the place where they were gathered in the hall. And he walked to the door, the door he thought was the door that went outside to the foyer. And instead he opened up the door and it was a broom closet. <laughs> And so the military uh, men had to essentially backtrack, right, and do an about-face with a casket and go the other direction. And the reason that that story is so important is because it shows us, as go the leader, so go the followers. And that is kind of what we're looking at today, is as go the leaders, so go the followers. We've been looking at the book of Titus, and we talked about this last week, but Titus is penned by a man named Paul And Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been commissioned by Christ to share the gospel, to plant churches, and all of these things. And he is essentially gone to an island um, called Crete. He's planted a church there, and he has a companion, and his name is Titus. And Titus is the reason for the book, because it's who's getting this letter. And Titus is on the island of Crete, and um, the people of Crete are called Cretans. And the Cretans are the worst. I mean, they're... um, just living in all sorts of sin. They have massive problems. Um, They're just extremely worldly. And with the problems that are transpiring in in the people in Crete, Paul realizes that the problem is the leadership is bad too as well. So he looks at Titus and he says, Titus, one of your jobs, for lack of a better word, in making sure that this church that I planted continues to succeed is to equip godly leaders. And you know this and how important godly leadership is um, because we see 
that it calls us to live um, above ourselves. And so Titus is not just going to equip godly leaders and find godly leaders, but he's also going to live like a godly leader. And his opportunity and obligation is to be guided by the direction of the Holy Spirit and to keep the bar high. And I don't know where you're at, but this book is extremely challenging. I can't even tell you how many times Bethany's come into the kitchen where I've studied or um, places where I'm um, looking and pouring into this book, and she says, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I said, I'm questioning my, my Christianity here because these standards are so high. And I told her the other day, I said, Bethany, I don't even think I know Jesus, right? Like, I should just resign. She's like, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> So when Titus sets a bar high here, he sets it for himself, but he sets it for the leaders. But here's the hard thing. If you look at the title of this, you automatically think like, this sermon is not for me. This is for the leadership of the church, right? This is for the elders of the church, the people who are in leadership of the church. I would say that's not true. Because as go the leaders, so go the followers. The commands that are in scripture here are, yes, for leadership, but they're for all believers. If you confess your sin to God and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, then these standards are things that we all should strive for. It starts with leadership and then it goes down. So as we look at um, Titus chapter 1 and verse 5 all the way to verse 9, what I'm going to do is I'm essentially give you a crash course on what a biblical elder is and then what it looks like to be a godly leader and then obviously what it looks like for us as a church, to model these traits to as well. So let's look at Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 5. And <clears throat> let's go back to verse 4 just so we can get kind of a running start. Paul writes to Titus, my true child in a common faith. They were believers, confessed their sin, believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and were saved. They had received grace, grace, God's grace, grace that was greater than their sin. They also had peace from God the Father because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And so Paul writes to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order, and that you're going to appoint elders in every town as I direct you. So let's look at first this foundation. We're going to kind of pour a foundation here and talk about a biblical reason for elders. Paul does the same thing with Titus here that he did with Timothy. So you could cross-reference 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 with Titus chapter 1, verse 5. And what I mean by cross-reference is usually one biblical book speaks to another biblical book. And so Titus and Timothy really line up because Titus is a pastor and Timothy's a pastor and they are commissioned by Paul to do specific things. And here that commission is the same. They were both left behind in a good way, not permanent, to provide leadership to a young, immature congregation. Now, due to the shortness of Paul's visit, organization of the Cretan church was unfinished. And so Titus, if you want to, you could go ahead and underline, was to put what remained into order. God is a God of order. God is not a God of confusion. God is not a God that looks at us and wants us to run off our emotions God wants us to think logically with our minds. He loves systems and structures. And here, when he says, put what remains into order, he's saying, straighten it out. 
Straighten out what is crooked. Appoint elders, he says, in every town. Paul's going to leave, and Titus is going to act like an apostolic agent. He's going to do exactly what was modeled for him. Leadership models what godly living looks like. Look at Acts chapter uh, 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And how did they do it? With prayer and fasting. If you look at the Bible, decisions are made with prayer and fasting. How many of our decisions are made that way? And they committed these men to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And so what happens here is Titus's authority in the Cretan church is ascension of Paul's authority, but ultimately God's authority. And that would end at the closing of the apostolic age. So Paul gives Titus, here's two charges. Let's look at these two charges. Number one, put what remains into order. To put into order in Greek essentially means to set right or to correct. We know this in our society in two different ways. We have orthodontists that straighten out crooked teeth, right? Praise the Lord for that. Also, prices are a little high for that, just saying. It's my own personal opinion, right? And then you have orthopedists who essentially straighten out broken bones. And you would have um, understood that in regards to being a physician, as Paul says, put into order. So Titus, as the leader, was a spiritual orthodontist or a spiritual orthopedist here in Crete. And he was sent to straighten out churches that were already in existence, but lacked organization and needed sound doctrine. They needed to live godly lives. There were also false teachers there that needed to be silenced. And so Paul left Titus to handle these matters. The commentator Green says it like this. He says, setting in order churches that have gone wrong is a delicate and large task. Elders say amen. (laughs) They're quiet this morning. (laughs) All right. It is a difficult task in many ways than evangelizing new fields. Give me somebody who has no understanding of church and has just come to know Jesus because they are often more teachable and trainable than believers who have been to church their whole life. Pastor Jordan, I don't think you know all of my Awana awards, right? (laughs) False teachers are hard to correct. And when sin gets into a church, it is difficult to dislodge it. And so the church is a body, and our pastors and elders have to occasionally be spiritual physicians, and hopefully we're doing that with care and grace and peace. And we have to reset some bones. Here we see the importance of God's system and structure and order of the church. So we have elders at our church, and our brothers and sisters um, in the Evangelical Free Church, for example, have elders as well. So it's awesome to see that happening throughout our region. Second thing, I want you to appoint elders in every town. Circle the word appoint there. It's a really interesting word. It means to stand or to set down, like to cement, right? Titus was to appoint elders to elevated positions for specific purposes. Elders in Greek translates to the English word a presbyter, which in the Jewish community was somebody who was a member of the Sanhedrin as well as early Christian churches. Now, what's fascinating here is, if you study scripture, and if you're anything like anybody in today's society, the first question you ask is, why does it have to be a man? Ready for this? Because God said so. I looked all throughout every commentary I could find, and I asked myself, why does elder refer to men? Why men? In short, it's God's design. He said it, 
I believe it. That's his standard. And we put it there and we say, I'm not going to debate with God. It's designed. It's probably another sermon for another day. Okay. These elders were to be older. Now, the age of the elder is debated. The important thing, though, is it has less to do with age, per se, than one's quality of their spiritual character and ability to teach and correct doctrine. Same is true in our society today, right? We would rather have leaders. I don't care how old you are. I want to know if you have the ability to be a godly man and are able to teach and correct. Simply being older, including even being older in the faith, doesn't necessarily qualify a man for leadership in God's church. And so here we realize that the great Warren Wearsby said it like this. He said, Titus was not a spiritual dictator. Neither are the elders of the church. Neither are the pastors of the church. We are not spiritual dictators here, right? As a matter of fact, there's sometimes where people look at it and they say, it's just what you want. It's not what I want. It's what God wants. But he was Paul's official apostolic representative with the authority to work, and he always pointed back to Jesus. Elders are called always to point back to the glory of God or to direct, thoroughly arrange. So we follow Paul's apostolic charge and God's word, making sure churches in every city have the same divine mandate. In rough times and in cultures that are rough and sin-saturated, we need godly men to put into order what is crooked. Now, I know the initial response here is that's the elders of the church. But let's backtrack a second, right? Us who are leaders, are we doing this? Are we putting into order what is crooked regarding doctrine? Do we have proper systems and structures in place that produce godly living? Not just in the church, but also in the home. Men, step up. You are called and commanded to lead. All right, so verse 6. We have elders. We established that. Anyone wants to be an elder, and our elders used to say nobody wants to be an elder. We tried to change that. Okay? If anyone is above reproach, husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Whoa. Let's pause here for a second. First set, all right? General life and family. And if you were in my house... Right? This past week, you would think, whoa, what's going on with his home? Right? Well, be careful pointing fingers. All right? Just a second. Same thing again. Cross-reference Titus 1 to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul lists 15 qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 17 here in Titus, and all of these cover the same ground. Now, the first set of these qualities deal in general qualities and family matters. Again, don't punch out because these are qualities or should be qualities for all believers. Number one, they should be above reproach. That word above reproach is to be blameless in reference to character. Paul used the exact same word of deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So deacons, you're not out yet either, right? It's kind of funny when we try to remove ourselves from the text. God has a way to pull us back into the text. All right, Crete is full of rebellious men, and church leaders shouldn't be. No leader should be. Elders must strive to have no obvious flaws in their character that brings criticism. Pause. Biblical persecution is not criticism. Make sure that you note that. 
Two, he should be the husband of one wife or a one-woman man. Now, people love to argue about this. There's four primary views regarding this interpretation. Number one, he must be married. Some people say, number two, he must not remarry if his first wife died. Number three, people say he must have more than one living wife or not polygamous. He must not have more than one living wife, polygamous, right? Or four, he must remain. Yeah, that'd be bad. Um, <clears throat> I only can handle one. And even that's debated. Amen. All right. Four, he must remain faithful and true to his wife. What are all those four views saying? Essentially, in short, elders have to be pure and have a lifelong reputation for devotion to one spouse. They must be sexually pure. Now, Paul's church, let's ask ourselves this. How are we doing in this? Are we sexually pure people? Do we love our spouse? Or do we have eyes for other people? Are our eyes wandering to other people? We have to ask ourselves this. I would hope and pray that everybody at this church says, man, Jordan really loves his wife. Three, children are believers. Elders' kids are trustworthy and faithful. It's logical if an elder isn't able to lead his own children or family to faith in Christ, how could he lead others? Many of you know I'm a pastor's kid, and uh, as I was growing up, I made some decisions that weren't honoring and glorifying to the Lord. My mom agreed with that, right? My dad came home one day, and he says, Jordan, I'm going to quit the ministry. And I said, what do you mean? Why would you quit the ministry? That's your job. That's how we eat, right? And he said, because you are an unruly child, (laughs) And I thought, that's not very nice to say. He's like, I'm not upset with you. I'm just disappointed. Worst words in the world. And what he was getting to was the passage here in, in, in Titus, right? If we can't lead the home, then how can we lead the church? Now, he had it kind of easy because he could just go back to the church and say, well, he's adopted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This involves... Husbands, let's talk about this, disciplining your kids in godly ways and your children who are wild and disobedient. Paul explained it's important. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. If a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's a hard passage. The great commentator Lipscomb says it like this. He says, the family, and let's church, let's talk about this. How are we doing here? The family is the nursery of the church. And of these two, act and react upon each other so that a bad or weak father can never be an effective leader. Some of you think that you're a good leader in your workplaces, and you're not, because you're not leading your home well. That's really hard to say. But let's get that right. Let's ask God for our forgiveness, repent of that, and come back to being restored. Four, debauchery and insubordination, not wild or disobedient. Debauchery, that word means uh, essentially a picture of having no hope or safety, one who is reckless, It is one who has abandoned himself to uncontrolled behavior. It is the prodigal son, right? It's the prodigal son. Rebellion is one who is ungovernable, refuses to be subject to any control. Such a man is not fit to lead God's church. Mark Deaver has written a ton of stuff about elders, and I love this quote. He essentially says, leadership is not simply a name or a declaration, a guy walked up to me the other day. He said, Pastor Jordan. I said, what's the problem? <laughs> I said, you can just call me Jordan. It must reflect a living commitment or it is worthless. Ouch. Elders, leaders, meticulous, 
Prayerfully chosen for those who lead the church are not only accountable for the effects of their leadership, but also the kingdom of God. Elders, how are we doing here? Yikes, right? That's a tough passage of scripture. All right, verse seven. <clears throat> now, watch this. This is, this is kind of neat, all right? He changes words here. He goes from elder to overseer, and he starts to unpack the qualities of the old self and the qualities of the new self. So if you look at verse 6, you could essentially say, oh, it's an elder of the church, I understand that, husband of one wife has that, okay, but how does this really apply to me as a believer in regards to the characters, uh, characteristics and qualities or character traits of a godly individual? As God's steward must be, again, he repeats it, above reproach, so that's important, we already talked about that, now he is going to explain the old self, and then he's going to explain the new self. Look at verse 7. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. That's the old self. He then should be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the truth and the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Church, you cannot do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. This is not something you can obtain by yourself. This is not something you can do by yourself. This is an impossible list, and it's an impossible list for a reason. Now, I already said that Paul switches terms here, but let's look at the traits for elders that we should all strive for. Let's start with five vices that don't characterize an overseer, or I would say don't even characterize a believer in verse seven. We're gonna run these real fast. Number one, not arrogant or quick-tempered. James chapter one, verse 20 says, the anger of a man doesn't accomplish righteousness of God. If you find yourself getting angry, take a breath, get up, remove yourself from the situation and come back later. If you find yourself as an angry man, you could pray to the Lord and ask for forgiveness of that anger and then also ask for restoration. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger, but often, so many times, those of us who have righteous anger, uh, we think we have righteous anger, and righteous anger is rare. Let's just say that, okay? This elder is not provoked or has a short fuse. He is concerned about God's way over his own and doesn't look down on others. He's quick to listen and slow to speak. This is a hard one for the American church. He is not a drunkard given to much wine. The picture here is of a man in Crete who always had a bottle on the table or a bottle, this is super hard to say, in the cabinet. He is looking at this and he's saying it's not somebody who has a casual drink. In Greek mythology, the god of wine was worshipped by the Cretans. So those given to wine were often aggressive and abusive and given to fights. Elders were not to be this way. I played with alcohol before, and I'll tell you what, it is a fire that you cannot put out. I have struggled and struggled and struggled to find verses that would look at that we could look at and say, Oh, here we can we can drink just a little and not sin. It's not the case. I cannot find one good verse in God's word that says alcohol does anything good for your life. And even as a person who has walked down that path, I say it, be careful and abstain. 
He is not violent, a striker, one who hits another with force. Elders aren't UFC fighters, unfortunately. They aren't fist fighters or violent men or contentious and quarrelsome. And look at the last one there, not greedy for dishonest gain. This describes a man who doesn't care how how he makes his money as long as he makes it. We've had elders before on our church uh, that own businesses, and we ask them very clearly. We say, how are you doing in regards to your finances? Do you make that money greedily, or do you make it as to the Lord? Christians didn't care how they made money just so long as they made it. Uh, One commentator says, if a church leader's mind is occupied with the amassing of gold, he'll be too preoccupied to uh, feed the flock. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so that's the old self. Now look at the seven qualities that characterize the new self of an overseer. And let me just ask you a question. How are you doing on this one? Like, this is like a little quiz, right? Man, you're like, I didn't come to church to get hit over the head. This is the Holy Spirit speaking, all right? Just let it happen, man. It's good, right? If you want to be a strong tree, you got to take some wind. Here we go. So hospitable, showing kindness, caring. A hospitable man gives practical help to anyone who is in need. I just heard this story the other day. I don't think he's here, so I can share it. One of our deacons, there was a guy who broke down in the parking lot uh, after church. Easter Sunday, right? Of all times, Easter Sunday. Who breaks down in the parking lot at Easter Sunday? He stayed and, and helped him out and took him to Bremen and all this other stuff. And I thought to myself, that's a good deacon, right? Good, good for you, right? I'm glad I left early. Just kidding. <laughs> I did text him. I asked him if he was okay. All right, anyway. Um, freely offers time, resources, help meet the needs of others. Look at the second one, loves good, practices what is good. What uh, the actual passage is saying here is, is this is a person who doesn't fill their mind with filth. Constantly having a filter over anything that enters their eyes and ears. Are we like that? Ooh, that's tough, right? Self-controlled, temperate, sensible. A man that has a sound mind, isn't impulsive, possesses the ability to curb the desires and impulses, lives a measured and orderly life. Another way to say somebody who's self-controlled is that he knows his godly priorities and he's devoted to them. Wow. A couple more. Upright or just, has high standards, balances righteous character and righteous conduct. He's holy, excuse me, devout. Describes a person who lives right before the eyes of God and is dedicated to being set apart for the gospel. A holy man keeps himself free of anything that stains him in the eyes of God. Young men, you should be writing down these traits. This is what a woman looks for, right? This is, this is what women go, they go, ooh, I like this, I like that guy. Discipline, self-controlled, exercises restraint over impulses and notions, and uh, is genuinely self-controlled man, is a God-controlled, spirit-enabled man. To gain self-control, one commentator says, one must surrender control to God's spirit, and then you'll be enabled to exercise watchful discipline, which refuses to pander to appetites of the human body at the soul's expense. John MacArthur sums this up really well. And essentially what he says is, according to the scriptures that we have in front of us entrusted to our care, virtually everything that truly qualifies a person for leadership is directly related to their character. How's your character? How are you doing in regards to your character? Is it godly? It's not about a style or a status or personal charisma, right? I wish it was. Like, that'd be kind of cool, right? You get to rank your pastor and your elders based on what they wear to church. Man, that'd be fun. 
It's not about cloud or worldly measures of success. As a matter of fact, we've been talking about this as a staff for the past two weeks. What does it look like to be successful in the eyes of God? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Integrity is the main issue that makes the difference between a good leader and a, good, and a bad one. Let's change that sentence. Integrity is the main issue that makes the difference between a godly believer and an ungodly one. Elders or overseers meet both spiritual and moral standards in personal life, but are also relatable to God's word. They hold fast to its trustworthy message. Now notice here in verse 9, Paul declares that elders are keepers of God's truth. They understand and hold fast to it. They encourage others by teaching it. They refute it to those who oppose it. Elders know their qualifications aren't from their self, but they're from the Holy Spirit that was given by Christ at salvation. Again, you cannot do this on your own. It's impossible. To be a true qualified leader for the Lord is to be effective in handling the truth. Is to be effective in handling God's truth. You know, Bethany and I uh, get the opportunity every now and again to, uh, to go to concerts. And um, <clears throat> Bethany's so much more musically inclined than I am, um, obviously, right? Like, if you want me to speak, that's fine. It's all good. Um, but if you want me to play you something, like, we're going to kind of stumble our way through. And uh, when we go to the symphony, I love it, right? Oh, man, you just, it warms my heart. I love the symphony. It's so good. I get all dressed up. I'm with a bunch of people that look just like me, talk like me, act like me. Um, man, I, I just love it. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I know, it's just, it's just me and you. I think the symphony is like, um, I don't believe in purgatory, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's like. <laughs> and here's what it's like being at the symphony, right? It's kind of like being, I don't speak Spanish either. It's kind of like me being in Mexico, like, like knowing what everybody else is saying. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, just nod my head, right? Here's what I do. When we're at the symphony. Bethany sits next to me. I sit here, right? And I watch her, and she is. And I try to mimic, so I'm like. And then the guy next to me, he's looking at me like. And I'm like, what's wrong with you, right? Are you here with your wife too? And then I realized that his wife is like, I love it. I love it. So here's the crazy thing. Last symphony that we were at, I don't know if you remember this or not. But I looked at Bethany and I said, that was really good. Spoken like a complete idiot, right? I'm like, that was good. Like, encore, right? Why don't you play some more? Um, and, uh, and she's like, mm-hmm. And she just kind of nodded her head. And I thought to myself, well, you didn't think that was good? You're nodding your head like you're over here like this is a metal show and you're like headbanging. Like what? The, why? I'll explain it to me later. So we get in the car. I promise the story has an ending. Um, so we get in the car <clears throat> and I said, why wasn't that good? And she said, that she's, essentially what she said is, she said, well, they played the correct notes, but they didn't play the music. And I thought, oh, that's good. That's, that's really good. So you can play the notes on the page, but, but to play the music is a whole different thing. See, on one hand, 
we have this church today, right? And, and it has a category of believers whose spiritual experience is just this wild music without notes of sound doctrine. It's a lot of noise that needs like fine-tuned, right? There's, there's a lot of noise there. It just needs kind of fine-tuned. On the other hand, there's thousands of others who have all the notes correct. Like there's correct theology, but there's no melody. There's no joyous praise. There's no hallelujah there, right? And, and these two worlds kind of need to come together, right? And join mandate with melody and find in God's law book a songbook. Then our delight would be in the laws of the Lord. And this is how it is with the people of God. It starts with elders, right? As go the leaders, go the followers. We have this law of the Lord and we're delighted to be in it. We love to try and strive to have these traits in our life. Uh, your elders at Community Gospel Church are striving for these things. I see our guys trying to do this. They're trying to live this way. But more importantly, they want you to live this way. Their service is not merely with a smile, but the song that they sing is, is the song of Jesus and the same traits that are called upon for elders. Our desire as elders of Community Gospel Church is that you would live this way too and see that there's joy there and there's opportunity there and there's peace there and there's passion there and there's, there's so many things that the world uh, pretends to offer that they can't fulfill that are, pa- that are found in the pages of the text. So as go the leaders, so go the followers. And that's why Paul tells Titus, look at verse nine. He must hold fast that leader of the church to the trustworthy word that is taught so that you can hold fast to the trustworthy word that is taught. And then as they are able to give instruction in sound doctrine, so you too will be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And when you see problems, And when you see things that need corrected, they're going to rebuke and and contradict that which is false so that you can be able to correct that which is false. That's kind of our prayer here. Same prayer of Paul for Titus is the same prayer for your pastor to the elders and for us. Well, we want to pray for our elders of the church. And um, if you're an elder, uh, would you come up here? Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.